who are you and where are you and what do you do in the world? Hey, hey, everybody. Uh, I am Jonah Mixon Webster. Uh, I guess I'm Dr. Jonah Mixon Webster now. Strange. Yeah. I'm getting used to that. But <laughs> uh, from Flint, Michigan, originally. Uh, I'm here in St. Louis, where I am the visiting assistant professor of poetry at Webster University. Um, no relation. Probably this probably some relation. Uh, slavery. <laughs> yeah. Slavery makes us all related. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> right. It's just, uh, that just came right. <laughs> came right spontaneous, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm a poet. Um, also am uh, a sound artist, conceptual artist. Um, I do some activism, social outreach, social outreach, community engagement um, type stuff. Uh, also, um, I don't want to say on the side, it's a very integral part of even like my art making too. Um, so, uh, yeah, all together, you know, uh, it makes the being of Jonah, the poet, somebody, whoever, I don't know. Right? But, a very long business card. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. I need like, like 50 bullet points on there. Okay. Um, <laughs> You almost said that you do social. You almost said you do social outrage there, which I like. I almost said that too, and I'll, yeah, you got the yeah. I actually need to think, start thinking about that as a practice. Yeah, social outrage as a practice. Yes, is a practice. Right, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a practice. I think I'm engaged with. Someone just said um, something about uh, my work being angry or rage filled or stuff like that. I'm like, wow, hmm. am I that? Do I get in touch with rage that much? Like, am I that? Me and Rage have such a that much of an intimate, you know, kind of relationship. Um, I think we all do, but I think we all could get into it more. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. You know, as far as uh, you know, some of the stuff I'm doing now, that I'm kind of you know having to rewrite, not really rewrite, but kind of rework the book, rework stereotype. I'm um, you know, looking. I'm like, how how is how is Rage become legible, right? The, you know, in language in these ways, or 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 what makes you know, someone read, you know, the, the things in, in the book as being, you know, uh, anger, angry or um, or coming from a source of anger, a place of anger or responding with anger. What answers have you come up with with that? That's I'm curious, yeah, I think I think the one I'm inter most interested in, right, is um, how people say or, you know, I'm angry in like the, the part of my book that deals with the Flint water crisis um, a little more explicitly. Uh, and I'm thinking like, you know, sometimes anger, I think just happens when we just juxtapose things that, you know, that just don't work, right? Or, or, or when things have been juxtaposed um, in a way that just don't, you know, it, we, we tell there's a violence there, right? Um, and so like, I'm, I'm thinking about parts, I'm like, I, like the book doesn't really, like the part of the Flint water crisis doesn't sound angry, like if I try to read it with some kind of objective view, which is kind of, you know, pretty much impossible, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm looking at what's happening, you know, I think it's, it's so much language about the kind of environmental injustice that occurred in Flint. And it's all just stacked and sat right next to each other um, from these kind of, you know, um, paraphrase reportages to these um, kind of personal, you know, lyrical type, um, uh, I don't want to say call them like confessions, not really kind of a confessional mode, but they're more so kind of like a... Um, uh, expository lyrical mode that I kind of move in then goes into you know a complete appropriation of you know a frequently asked questions documents that were sent around by the state of Michigan and then now in this edition there's a frequently asked questions that was sent around by the EPA 
Um, and they both have those contradictory language in them, right? They both produce all this tension. So I'm curious about like how, mm. you know, how the, the tension that gets produced when you juxtapose some of these materials next to each other, how they kind of, um, you know, uh, how, that, how that tension kind of morphs or transforms maybe into a kind of an anger or a rage. Does it, that, is it, is, <clears throat> is it like juxtaposition plus accumulation? Is it like, I think probably, yeah. like an right. accumulation of a certain amount of things it's almost as if we go through well, well there's there's more to this because there's the whole dimension of like how does the reader tune into any of this and how much of it is put there by the person who's you know doing the writing that's a tricky question but i think it's it's kind of like if you encounter one say factual reporting of an injustice what most people would understand collectively as an injustice they register it as like a oh shit yeah that's that there's that and then once the, a second one is added in then you're like you feel getting hot a little bit and then the third one is almost like this weird like estuary of comedy where it feels like too much so you laugh yeah, it's absurd right yeah laugh at it a little bit but then yeah, it keeps building absurd, yeah mm -hmm. there's like nowhere to go but into anger right yeah that, that's right yeah i think that's how it is i think the this kind of you know accumulating juxtaposing you know kind of uh, materials and like the energies that they maybe kind of like inherently might possess when they're read in, in a, you know in these contexts right because I think you know it's really is the it's the understanding of, of context that I think you know brings us closer to that you know to these um, kind of shifting registers of, uh, of response mm -hmm. that might happen right from from where we might go from the uh the like you know we're peaked right we get kind of peaked and like oh well okay something's right they, they have a little blip on our radar of um either the like the bullshit meter or the or the in social injustice meter right that kind of you know like that what kind of um you know barometer kind of you know starts to go off right starts to ping at us and then you know as we keep going things like oh wow you know we get to that absurd level and i'm glad that you kind of um I love, I love that you kind of you know you also illustrated that um as a response right at, you know kind of like in the matrix of responses that we have to certain things that you know um uh you know might seem counterintuitive to elicit a kind of maybe a laugh you know like i think about that all the time you know my cousin was killed one of my first responses was i laughed that troubles me all the time. When, my, when I thought my father was going to die, one of my first responses was I laughed. It just comes out of your body, though. Like that, right? Or, or did you produce it? What was the, was it like just a eruption of laughter or did you feel it's, like you actually... It's like, it's a it's a feel, right? So like, it's um something, it's definitely contingent upon like a kind of a, a feeling. Something's happening where it's like, it's like a um an encounter with, you know, I, how I want to say like, the purely absurd but you know i guess like an encounter with the kind of absurdity um uh that has very much to do with what you kind of you know how you kind of outlined or diagram as far as you know when you, these are accumulating kind of events start you know it's like you get pushed to that level of like really or oh god like or like oh, you got to be kidding me right we that's one of those things if you think about sometimes how we might respond with that right mm -hmm. you got to be kidding me is you know kind of a uh yeah you know, you know, it's, I think, a response that sometimes attends to some of those deeper tensions of, you know, how maybe a tragedy has these <laughs> comic, you know, kind of, you know, uh, qualities or essences, you know, in them just because of how much has already, you know, built up, right? Um, it's something interesting there, right? I think, maybe, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot there, you know, but I think 
for me, when it happened in these moments that, you know, even caught me off guard, like, you know, I had to really try to work with myself, you know, pray and meditate and ask some questions like, why did I just laugh? Mm-hmm. And I got killed in a drive-by. Mm-hmm. Or why did I laugh when I found out my father, when I thought my father was going to die? If, um, when, I, if, when I think about like the connection between grief and rage and, and laughter, they're all very close. And, and one of the, one of the images I've come up against is like when you really, when you really go into the, the pit, like when you really go down dark and you're like in the multi, multiple levels of hell down and you're like, all right, I'm going to journey through this place. You get to eventually a sort of uh, an environment where it's like the great mystery of everything sort of shows itself. And it's so big qualitatively in relation to like our puny selves that laughter is like the only response because it's kind of like giving up into that not in a passive, yeah, kind of, yeah. not mm-hmm. a surrender in like a pejorative way but like uh no yeah like oh no. i like there's nothing to, like laughter is like uh, it's the same as oh i see how huge this is right wow what a ridiculous attempt to wield an emotion at it, it is so it is so much bigger than me and laughter is like the currency there. Yeah. I love, uh, I love all of that. Um, I just kind of contextualize that and frame that. I think, yeah, I think that's really spot on. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, I've noticed like, mm, mm, what is it? What is, you know, is, is, what is it kind of maybe necessary um for the self to 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 even have that experience you know like oh yeah right um like is that kind of i don't know i'm curious like you know like what necessitates laughter at times right and and thinking about you know like you know like what's the you know how necessary could laughter possibly be also in those you know in in those times or in those moments so Um, necessary i mean and then that's also like the the you know the the beautiful complexity of poetry as an art which is like okay i had this sort of mystic experience where i traveled to that realm and met the thing that's so much bigger than me and now i'm going to come back and i'm going to try to in a linear way put words on a piece of paper or make sounds that somehow convey the the experience i just had i mean it's almost impossible it's like you know, trying to translate it into something that seems ill-equipped to handle the bigness of the feelings, but right. but people register. I mean, that's why people laugh when they read your work as much as they get, they feel the rage. It's the same type of thing. It's a fascinating, I mean, so hard to do, but like, that's the art of it. And I would say as necessary as laughter is, which I, it absolutely is, I think so too is that attempt at trying to like order it in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you know, I think um, it's interesting we kind of brought that brought that up too, right? As far as like you know, sometimes uh, like the the funny parts, you know, uh, thinking about like that book, um, it's so weird what people say about your stuff, right? After you put it out, it's not like you never really you know yeah. consider stuff. A lot of stuff people see, you know, you just you're too close to it to really kind of think and see it. But like you know, the stuff that people say like oh yeah you know it's like 
heartbreakingly beautiful and brilliantly funny at times. And I'm like, really? I just thought it was a fucked up book. But <laughs> like, you know, I was not fucked up. You know, I, I, yeah. I didn't really think, you know, I was doing too much other than that. But, <laughs> but um, you know, think about like these tensions though. I think, you know, um, that people do end up kind of reading, right? And uh, and I think it's, you know, it's just those, those self-same kind of tensions that, you know, we, um, we also just try to give name to, right? And, and you know, these kind of moments. And and so, uh, and I don't really kind of consider how, because the primary objective, I think I remember the primary kind of like mode I was in was just ambivalence, right? I was just, when I was working on the thing, I was just like, how can I just dredge up all of the ambivalence that I have about blackness in self, in, you know, in, in myself, in, you know, and put it in this book, right? Um, uh, and I think ultimately, somehow, just by this, you know, just the nature of, of being in a kind of, you know, ambivalent kind of, uh, you know, kind of space, you know, working with them, but thinking about ambivalence, right, um, as a, uh, a motorizing or material for uh, for blackness, um, I think I think it just ends up, you know, bringing to some 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 points or some moments that like people seem to identify with as far as like it's like wow this particular section or this particular moment in this book is shifting from one voice that is you know completely being informed by what I call like a hood politics right and then you switch to this other voice that's completely informed by a kind of a parody of black vernacular that was written by a white woman. And and so it's like, it's like, and what what do you do with all that stuff, right? I think people might sometimes encounter the work or encounter the book and, and it mirrors all the stuff that they're trying to settle sometimes, like all the tensions that they, you know, are, are trying to also name or get or give place to or space to. Um, and like their, their, their own their own causes of you know of ambivalence their own cause of ambivalence I mean um, ambivalence is such a great word I'll tell you like when I think when I hear the word ambivalence my, I said uh, this is might be strange but I, I go to do you remember in like um, like in chemistry when you're looking at how atoms connect to make molecules and right. you're looking at the, the valence electrons it's what they right, call yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the valence electrons are the ones that are on the outer well they don't really you know they they're just flying around everywhere but they're the outer level ones that connect to other things and depending on the shape of the valence electrons in an atom that's what enables certain connections with other atoms and therefore there's where molecules come from and so writing whenever I hear ambivalence, I always think, oh yeah, you're trying to, it's in this case, you're trying to write in such a way where you're maximizing the number of valence electrons so that you can connect this little atom up to as many other atoms as possible in order to try to like really get a glimpse of the giant molecule that is blackness. And so it would make sense to me that people do they bring in their own molecular charge into the reading yeah. and then their valence electrons sync up with certain ones and you make these connections while reading certain things. And that's where they become part of the equation too. Mm. And that's where blackness goes well beyond, you know, skin color, but also like everybody can connect up um, in some way with something. 
And that's the power of writing from that ambivalent space, I think. Yeah, yeah I can agree with you, you know, like, and I was, I'm a, I was a big science nerd. My first degree was in biology. Oh, excellent. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, um, you know, I wanted to be a CSI forensic investigator, you know. Um, Maybe you are. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> right? The kind of way that I know, right? And, uh, you know, so it's, you know, I used to think about some of these um, kind of, uh, you know, chemical, physical kind of reactions, you know, um, or things that, you know, I kind of learned and, you know, it was oftentimes kind of a, translate them or kind of you know map them on to other you know kind of ideas or or um you know or uh or events or experiences that i would have you know with the with the writing side of what i was doing and i and i love the covalent i was always uh i was such a nerd about covalent bonds i was, <laughs> I was always trying to figure out you know like uh, and getting uh i remember even like doing those dry those the drawing those diagrams yep, you know yep with the, uh, <laughs> with the atom letter you know and the little dots around you know stuff like that um it's, it's, it's curious you know because I, I used to also think about um protein ion channels as like an event or experience right so thinking about like yeah. these doorways that would allow you know either will allow certain you know charged uh particles through or they would you know close if they didn't have the right charge or the right polarity and so um you know it had me thinking about you know issues of like you know uh monoliths gatekeeping right stuff like that when it comes to you know like blackness or even comes to like literature you're right and so um it's interesting about how these kind of you know the, the micro and the macro, um, you know, like kind of uh, uh, parallels um, that we might see, right, from the very, very small, you know, units of matter to some of these, you know, very, very big nebulous, almost to the point of abstraction, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, maybe we're back to anger because maybe, so I think when I think of protein connection, I think about how proteins fold themselves and unfold and that there's some like real, like, I describe it as like a, a real patient geometry of, of the body where the folding and the unfolding happens in this very like concert like way and it allows for certain pathways. But then certain events just overwrite that patience and just push through, right? So like cancer is, is sort of mm -hmm. one, one of these. But maybe rage is like a different version of that where it's like, not enough time for this. We're making the connection between these, right. <laughs> these pathways. Yeah. It mm. needs to be opened right now and we're not going right. to wait for it to fold and so it just sort of like burns through it's like mm -hmm. makes a bridge just through sheer willpower and that's what rage right. is like a sort of intensity exactly and it's, it's it's um kind of a a a catalyst too right or it's a you know, kind of catalytic in that way ideally um, yeah right. unless that's um, why you don't, just don't want to get stuck there because that's Right. You're not meant to live in it as a state. Like it is, if it right. is catalytic, then it has to change or it has to assist transformation. Right. right. And then it ha and then it's then it's done. <laughs> and then that energy has to move, right? After after the transformation has occurred. Well, that's right. the difference yeah. between those like when we were doing those diagrams in class and you're like, well, here's the inner circle and then the middle circle and the outer circle. Like that's not how it works. Like that's a crazy static, like very elementary version of what's actually happening in an atom. It is more a crazy motion where electrons are in multiple places at once and it, it does create heat. I mean, it creates this whole thing. So there's something about, there's certain types of poetry that do a good job at sort of like doing that old, that elementary diagram version of the, of ambivalence and the emotions. And then there's others that really get the heat and the movement. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you know it's like um, I think that's sometimes what's you know what's fun to think about how what poetry, what certain things can do, or certain like techniques, right? Certain strategies, you know, in in poetry and with, and with the lyric, what they can do to kind of disrupt that um, um, very uh, static, linear. Uh, kind of mode of uh, logical mode of understanding, right? How just this the energy around us is working. Yes. All right. Um, and uh, it's really interesting, you know, because I I was just finished working on this um this workshop description I'm doing for um Indiana Reviews uh, Blue Light Books um series, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's this whole kind of thing where we're thinking about um going against the desire to make sense um right and then how you know we've been kind of you know uh, socialized and indoctrinated you know um to to labor at making sense right constantly all the time right? making this patterned you know logical sense and um thinking about right how to attend to even like just the the, the matter of you know disabusing ourselves from thinking that adam's working this <laughs> you know right you know it, it really kind of because it gets closer to uh, another thing with the disabuse ourselves right just thinking about how does you know just how literally unwieldy all this energy is at you know at some point in time right and can we actually make space for for the unwieldiness right how do we or even how can we make it even more unwieldy yeah. Right. Um. What you know? What happens there? And so, I'm uh, thinking about you know what things that's great can happen in like the logics or what things that can disrupt this kind of you know logic of uh, of sense making, logic of this desire of making sense, mm-hmm. um, and that very kind of um, you know straight elementary lot you know, um, very very rigid deductive <laughs> you know model of uh, of arriving at conclusions, <laughs> and so. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's it's, it's really interesting. Got me thinking about you know, what's possible, right? In 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 disrupting that other senses. That's the thing. Like, new senses, nonsense. That's what I was kind of working. You know, like crafting new sense or nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, nuisance. I like nuisance. 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 Uh, yeah, my group favorite. <laughs> new division of yeah mischievousness. Like, mm-hmm. it really is a nuisance to so many people when you try to bring a different sense to something. Exactly. And you feel that the first thing that it reveals is how time oriented sense is. Mm-hmm. And like you're only allotted X amount of time to make sense. And if you, you slow the works down, then, uh, you know, you start to feel the, the side eye of, of society. Exactly. Yeah. And I was thinking about how like um, compartmentalized are, you know, we've been trained to, to think about our senses, like how they work. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I've been getting uh, a little bit more, into you know learning about synesthesia not just as a kind of a, a medical condition right but just as something that's oh, yeah. naturally a part of our sense processes you know yeah um oh, you yeah. know to varying degrees right and without you know infringing upon the kind of uh, you know the agency of those who you know maybe experience synesthesia to um degrees that maybe impact their quality of life not wanting to you know kind of uh um, make any kind of egregious egregious claims that elide their experiences, right, or elide what could happen, you know, or, or, or what their challenges are, you know, or could be. Um, but also think about and to, and to reorient ourselves to understand that, you know, we, we, we can't have these or work through it and experience these kind of confounding of our senses in a way that actually heightens them. Yes. Uh, right. Or, or, um, or allows us to, to arrive at, you know, literally new sensations. 
right? <laughs> um, right. Um, you know, right? right. And through the kind of combined or married processes of, of sensing, you know, or confusing our senses, right? Beautiful. Um, yeah. Keep yeah. doing that. Yeah. Keep doing that. Like that's 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 beautiful, and that's so needed. Exactly. It's so vast, like when I was kind of studying, learning about, you know, like how it's, you know, I hate to say, you know, like, yeah, it's diagnosed, right? <laughs> That's because the thing has been made into a condition. But, if it, you know, if we have to kind of think about it, sit back, like, we're always, you know, our, our senses are always confounded. Right? They're always kind of mixed up, right? And sometimes they do happen in these very um, predictable regiment, you know, kind of uh, frequencies, predictable frequencies that, you know, like will call, will, will kind of render someone to be a synesthete, right? Um, but I think what is most important is to think about, you know, like when we're having these experiences of, uh, you know, of seeing, you know, like what is it that, what is it that we've been trained to not listen to? Oh, absolutely. Right. Or, or when we, we have these issues of, you know, of, 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 you know, tactile, you know, experiences, what, what have we been trying to, to not smell, right? Or what have we been trying to, or the thing that I think about all the time is (laughs) if the body's proprioceptive ability Mm -hmm. is basically always tracking every movement and experience you have then you, there's never a time when you actually aren't registering anything. Like you, you always are registering all these things but your mind the rational right. part of your mind only it's basically because the mind is essentially a limiting machine that mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. it only allows us to process so much of these things but then when we don't expect it or especially when we don't want it to happen all of a sudden this emotion comes up because the body was like oh now's the time i'm going to remind you of this thing but i'm right. going to do it in a way that's not language based and so you're just going to have a series of feelings that you're not really going to be able to place and it's incumbent upon you, mind, now to like figure out what it's all about. And because we just rush from thing to thing, we don't make space or time to really sit with that stuff. Exactly. And to see what it is that's, you know, where we're picking up. Exactly. You know, what are we picking up? That's right. You know, we need like summits. You know, we need like, <laughs> we need like twice yearly summits where <laughs> we just call people together and be like, so what all have you un- been unable to say anything about with your mental right. health lately? And what we exactly. get all out on the floor and work together to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. The sense of, you know, it's so fascinating to think about, you know, um, you know, all these, uh, I, I like to think about, you know, what you said, you know, the mind is a limiting machine. And I think it's fascinating to think about, right. Um, how does that work right how how does our mind process you know uh limitations as far as you know a thing to kind of uh corral our attention um but then also as a kind of consequence right of um some of the other limits that have been imposed upon the mind right the limits that you know the mind wouldn't probably have put there if it weren't you know kind of if they weren't impressed upon it right (laughs) um yeah that's what whiteness is it's like Like that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah, limit impressed upon the mind, right? (laughs) It is, and and the senses, yeah, and the senses too, right? You know, I was because I'm always thinking about, um, you know, uh, with this other stuff that I'm trying to write about. You know, there's so many fucking theories and ideas I'm trying to hold always at one time. You know, thinking like, um. You know, going from the ontological stuff into the paracolonial stuff, but um, but they are very more so, you know, intertwined and interconnected. Then, oh, yeah, and I'm, you know, I might be able to talk about it now. But one thing in the um, 
talking about the paracolonial, one thing I'm always thinking about as far as like the kind of parallel colonial uh, initiatives, right? Um, uh, maybe initiative is too light of a word. <laughs> the agenda. agenda. Yeah, the, yeah, those agendas, you know, those uh, campaigns. I like the campaign. Yeah, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the, what are the what are the parallels, right? The, the parallel campaigns that are occurring, you know, um, and one I always think about, uh, right, the the physical plane, like right, the physical campaign of you know colonizing the space, colonizing people, right, and then like the the immaterial campaigns of colonization, right, um, colonizing the imagination, colonizing you know like the mind, you know, and those aren't the same processes, right? They're not one the same. You know, you, you um, just because you know you you, you um, colonize the space, you sell the space, doesn't mean you accomplish that colonizing the mind or selling the mind, right? And so, what do those two campaigns look like? How do they work inter you know interdependently um, uh, with yeah. each other, right? With one another um, to kind of you know unpack some of these uh, some of those limits, right? Some like the the limits that you know uh, the varying limits, right? That could have been um, imposed by. Uh, structures of whiteness systems of uh you know kind of colonial uh you know regime or i was just reading george you know i was just reading george russell's music theory book about the lydian scale do you know anything about him or the he's talking about i mean he was he's sort of like on the fringe of like what people now call the jazz aesthetic but it was it's really it's, it, people like ornette coleman really picked up right. his thoughts and, and his one of his main claims was that what we understand to sound harmonious is actually just the imposition of the major scale onto music theory that was put there by Christianity after basically colonizing ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. And so his work was to say, what if the major scale isn't actually the thing that gives us the fullest range of a sense of harmony and but we actually mix it up and we look at these other scales in fact scales that sound like it's one note off when it sounds to the ear wrong but mm -hmm. if you start from there you actually unlock this whole palette mm -hmm. and so that whole music theory project was a way of looking at this paracolonial campaign of Mm -hmm. you know making sure that sound and what we what we equate sound and harmony with really mess with that now because we need to yeah. without breaking with that we're only ever going to be playing in the same system even if we don't know it no that's brilliant um i also need to, to think about that because um i'm working on this uh this piece for jazz and culture um on with it like the various it's pretty much like a demonstration of like the inter improvisational practices that I use, like oh, from how I jump from you know um, freestyling to um, playing the sax, or and I jump to DJing, or I might you know jump to like digital composing thing, translating that you know like very much like how you know um, the piece that I, I produced um, in the class I took with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that piece is keep it's still transform. It's, it's a new edition of that piece. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was years ago. Was it like five years ago? <laughs> yeah, man, that was a long time ago. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, and then this, uh, you know, in this, uh, <laughs> in this, in this piece, I'm thinking about like you know uh, how beauty, right, is this kind of a uh, assignment that comes from this tension between like this i think a, a kind of a structural right system 
Um, and then everything that is outside of that, oh, right? Um, right. Beauty does. I don't think it, it, it isn't like it's not something that uh, you know how is this how it's assigned, right? It's something that is completely attributed to you know kind of a structure, a system, or a scale. Nor nor is it completely you know assigned or uh, uh, to a complete randomization. Right, um, it's somewhere in between the two, right? Um, and trying to parse out some of those things, and so I think you know that's really helpful as far as just thinking about, um, as far as thinking about some of the histories of right, uh, beauty as we know it, uh, through structures, systems, scales, and beauty as we could think about it, or we know it through you know, um, chance, improvisation. Um, I like that one note off kind of thing, right? <laughs> oh, it's all it takes. I mean, that's like every elaborate structure, especially structures that were intended to control, are mm -hmm. easily breakable in the most rudimentary way. Right. The yeah. side effect of being such a structure is that one brick out of place and it just falls down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really yeah, that's really interesting, really fascinating to think about. Um, I like that stupid boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal. Like that's not, of course, the end of capitalism right now, but it's hilarious to think that the size of that boat that's stuck there, the way that it got to be that size was. How do you hear about this? What's this? What happened? Oh, there's a boat that is stuck in the Suez Canal. It's the size of a skyscraper. It's the size of the Empire State Building. Is how big the boat is. And it wind pushed it, and so it literally got diagonally wedged into the Suez Canal, <laughs> thereby blocking all of global trade for like the last week. What? I did not hear about so that. This is one of those beautiful things where you're like, this is laughter, right? This is where the absurd laughter comes from because you're like, right, so why did the boat get that big? Because global trade required that there be this much stuff on that boat. Well, in the in the move to make the boat big enough to keep up with that, did anybody consider the physical constraints of the actual passage that the boat has to go through in order to, to get there? No. No. So now all it shows <laughs> is that it's just a fraction too big. But it's enough. <laughs> but it's enough. Right. It's just big enough. Right. And so the hope that that shows is that like, oh, well, we didn't take down capitalism there through a fluke accident. But if that's all it took, then right. surely we can design something like that to happen. Mm -hmm. mm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like a planned obsolescence, but for larger systems, <laughs> larger social systems. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what like a sit-in was. It was like, mm -hmm. it was the simplest of no's. It was like, right. oh, I'm just not going to move. Right. And they're yeah. like, they're like, we had never calculated for that. Right. You know, what do we, we have do? all these we have these spaces for people here to sit and leave. Exactly. <laughs> we consider anybody sitting and staying. Exactly. <laughs> right. right. The beautiful, like simple oversight that leads to these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a beauty. There's a beauty in that when the thing crumbles, right? Like you're like, oh, that's beautiful. But the way that yeah, yeah. I, right. I love that too, right? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely when the thing falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's 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 deep stuff. That's deep, deep heavy stuff. Um, well, I'll I'll stop the recording. We can keep talking. But I think that that was that was wonderful thinking. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Thank you well, so much. All right. I'm always so exhausted when I talk to you. Not like in a bad way, but just like you know, <laughs> not like not like in one of those ways. Like I, I probably said that kind of wrong, but like you know, we've been doing this thing for a while now. We just kind of just get you know, we'll link up and then we're like. 
do this weird simultaneous plug in the matrix while we're out of it kind of weird thing you know well that's a great question like what are we plugging into right yeah you know it's like it's like having to walk the space between two worlds where we know one that's completely unreal right and we this other one that we that's you know it's like um it feels realer right but we're not there yet and so you know it's like um it's like that kind of thing right it's like it's yeah. like partially it's like the plug is halfway in right we're, we're kind of in sentient in this you know odd zionistic space that we created right but <laughs> yeah. on the other end right we're we're still you know tapping the the codes we're pre- you know pressing the button you know of the uh of the of this this simulating thing this well, huge <laughs> fiction fiction emerges out of real historical conditions in the present right so it's the 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 ability to think something that doesn't exist or to think of a different reality is always happening in the in the realm right. of fiction but then the thing that i think that a lot of people are onto and we're definitely always sort of onto is that is it possible that by you know jamming together and like creating a fictional reality through like these you know these conversations that one takes shape in such a way that like it actually does start to materialize and feed yeah. back into the into the real world and like that's why it's worth the effort of doing this because you know 9 million 9.9 million out of however many times it's not going to take but then all it takes is that one time where you're like, oh, wait, no, that could work, you know? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, now with this NFT business, oh, that's just been like a weird, weird thing, right? That is like simultaneously challenging someone was one of these like weird, huge systems of, you know, market right or, or like the free market the yeah. capitalistic market but then at the same time it is producing another kind of thing right <laughs> that, like it's not surprising to me it, it that it arises at the same time that cryptocurrency really you know pl- makes a play to like stay around it makes perfect sense to me it's like somebody it's like trying to engineer <laughs> a new tier of money that they're like, oh shoot, well, we really, there's too many people who have access to the abstract world of money now. Right. So we need to make another abstracted level of money. Money, right. <laughs> that, that most people can't get to. Right. How do we do that? Well, let's just, uh, it's not dissimilar from what I was just saying, actually. They're like, well, let's just imagine that there is this other. This thing, right. And then place. what happened, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, the fact that they call it a non-fungible token, the fact that they use fungible, which is like just such a Marxist, like, I feel like it must appear in capital like a thousand times, that word. It's a great <laughs> word. And that they used it here and they're like, ha ha, if we're going to use it to make our own new little utopia for rich, for new richness. Right. Um, <laughs> new richness. Yeah. Is that what you just said? New richness? Yeah. New richness. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Oh God. It's so weird. Yeah. Same it's with so cryptocurrency. Strange. It's like, let's make sure that no human work is required to make this money. Let's make sure that it's all done through the exploitation of energy resources. You know, that way we don't even have to get our hands dirty thinking about 
doing work <laughs> for, right. for it's for literally the, right cryptocurrency. It's, now we literally right money is just energy now right <laughs> Yeah. What it's always been. Money is energy. I've learned that the hard sure. way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? yeah, that's why the IRS sucks because they're taking your energy. <laughs>